0: church our Lord said why are you persecuting me so Christ is still on the cross behold I stand at the door God. if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come into him and eat with him
1: the feet of the Lord I want to see
0: Buenos dias, que tal? Welcome back to Behold the Man. I'm your host, Joe McClain. It's great to be back with you this week. That was Heaven from the album Immersed by Josh Blakesley. Isn't that a great song? Oh, I love that song. I could just go cruising down the road on a beautiful, bright, sunny, blue sky day and just kick back, you know, with the sun sort of setting in the horizon, and the wind blowing through my hair with the windows down, and this song just rocking, that's just, oh, this song is so great, that's just how it makes me feel when I hear this song, I love that song, you gotta check that out, for a link to Josh's website, stop by my website at www.catholichack.com It's About Heaven and the and the lyrics in this song are so pertinent to what I hope to talk about today. The Kingdom of God and the readings from the second Sunday of Easter. I've just been pondering on this subject all week and I have to be honest, I'm not going to do it justice today. I wish I could have spent more time sort of researching and developing the ideas, but maybe we can have sort of a casual conversation about what the Kingdom of God is about and how it relates to the readings from this past Sunday. But before I get too excited and get ahead of myself, let's start, as we always do, with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. All glorious and wonderful God, we come before your heavenly throne room. We come before you as you are seated there, as of the one of ancient of days, and the one seated at your right hand, the Son of Man, whom you have given dominion over all of creation. We humbly come before you and we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the grace that you pour out of your sacred heart, my Lord God, you who are merciful upon us. May you come to our rescue in our daily struggle and plight. All those things that have just steal us away from from contemplating you, our Lord and our God. And if you shall not act in our life, may we praise you anyway. For you are our hope, our salvation, the lover of our souls. You who were lifted high above the ground and to draw all men to yourself, you were nailed to a tree that you might offer the supreme sacrifice of our Lord God, who took upon himself flesh descending from heaven, and dwelt among us. Praise you! Praise you! Praise you! May your mercy abound and shine through all the world, and may everyone bend a knee and proclaim your name to be most holy, our King, our Lord, who is King of kings, Lord of lords, and the high priest of the heavenly throne that you sit upon the temple the altar before the ancient of days i beg of you to have mercy on us to grant us your graces to look past our iniquities and to bestow your love in our heart that we might come to praise you every day may you walk with us and may your mother our lady intercede forever in your throne room More than Bathsheba ever could to her son, King Solomon, may Our Lady intercede to her son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. All right. The kingdom of God. And I hope to get through all of this in this one show. And if not, I'll have to extend it. But, you know, I I just really want to just get some of this out and how it sort of relates to those readings that we heard at the second Sunday of Easter. Oh, they were they were good readings. They were packed full of very meaty topics, so we can go in many different directions. But this week, it's been I've been listening to some material on the SalvationHistory.com website. That's the website for the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. They've got a free course on the splendor of the church under study courses, and there's some audio, online audio material there. I'll put a link to it on my website. It's great to listen to. I highly recommend it. And uh, you should check that out. Spend some time on that this week. But in there, there is a presentation given by Dr. Brand Petrie, and he goes into the kingdom of God, and it's it's an, a fascinating study, and it does relate to the readings this week. And but let me just just get started here. For instance, we know from Saint Luke's Gospel that Jesus is given a kingdom. We read in in Saint Luke chapter one, starting around verse thirty-one that. Quote, and behold, this is the angel speaking to Our Lady here, quote, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end, Unquote. Now, this is fascinating stuff because, honestly, therein lies this this small scripture passage, this, this few verses of Luke chapter 1, the key to sort of understanding and interpreting the Gospels in at least some small respect. What I mean here is, Jesus is a king, and he possesses a kingdom. And the context for that kingdom is very specific. It's David his earthly line his earthly earthly lineage through saint joseph and through his mother mary so david had a king and we can go back and study first kings and and other passages to understand what his kingdom was like okay we know he handed that kingdom on to his son solomon and his son solomon reigned and was the wise man of of the ancient world so we can go back and study those Old Testament passages to get a very specific outline, a very a very real look into what the kingdom of God might be like, only it will be imperfect in the Old Testament, and it will be perfected through Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Let I me mean, just give you a couple of examples. For instance, David had ministers in his court, and if David had ministers in his court, how much more... Does Christ have ministers? We read that Solomon had 12 ministers. I and mean, He had a prime minister who bared the keys to his, his kingdom, who also bared the keys specifically to the temple. and we, We've talked about that in other episodes, so I won't get into it. But we see the parallels here. If David had priests that offered sacrifice at the temple, then how much more does Jesus Christ have priests who will offer sacrifices? And in the gospel reading of the second Sunday of Easter, we hear about our Lord breathing upon His twelve, giving them the power to bind and loose, to, to hear the confessions of the people, to forgive sins or not to forgive sins. By default, we know... That in order for them to to make the decision, to come to the decision whether to forgive or not to forgive, to bind or loose, they must hear those confessions. Now, so many people think that this is the first instance ever where a priest, because we know those 12 men to be priests. We talked about that last week, about the, the priesthood of these 12 men, the priesthood of Jesus Christ. Okay? We know that they'd have to hear the actual confession of the person in order to come to a decision as to whether or not they would bind or loose their sins upon them, to forgive them or not. This is not the first instance of such a confession to a priest. We read about this also in Leviticus chapter 4, where if you made a sin, you had to go and take an offering to the temple. And the priest there would have to receive your temple and ensure that you were doing this properly according to the law. Now let me ask you something. If you committed a murder, but you only brought a turtle dove to the temple, how would the priest know if your offering was appropriate? Unless he asked you what your sin was, that's his job, okay that's what he was there for to ensure that you were offering up the appropriate sacrifice for the for the committed offense, and then he would give you the knife, you would take that knife, you would cut the throat, the slaughter of this animal, and its blood would be upon your hands. This animal died for your sins. Now, in here, perfected in the New Testament, our Lord doesn't require the blood of the animal any longer. No, His blood was poured out for the sins of all. But now, in order to reconcile on an ongoing basis, because man and his sin nature just doesn't stop sinning simply because Christ died on the cross. No, because man is a sinful man, and his concupiscence continues and persists. God gives us the gift, the beauty of the sacrament of reconciliation, giving and passing on through his breath, his breath, he breathes on them. He gives them this power to bind and to loose. So we know that this is not a new invention by the Catholic Church, but simply a perfection of the Old Testament type that we found there in Leviticus chapter 4, which existed for centuries before St. John ever penned you know this, this gospel reading that we find in St. John's Gospel, chapter 20. So it's very powerful that we know that in the kingdom of David, he had priests who offered sacrifice on behalf of the sins of the people who brought their sacrifice, who heard their confession and offered it up according to the law that was given them through the prophet Moses. And so how much more then does Christ do that to perfection. We also read in St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, as we have spoken of in the past, that Jesus gives to St. Peter the keys of the kingdom, a direct parallel from Isaiah, where we see that the chief minister in the court of the king of Judea uh, possessed the keys. He possessed the keys and he wore them on his shoulder so that all would know in the kingdom that this man is the second in charge. He is the chief, he's the prime minister. But these keys not only were the keys of the kingdom, but they were also the keys of the temple. This is a very priestly reference, as well as it is a prime ministerial reference in the kingdom. So again, linking the priesthood to the king is his fundamental. This was, this was the standard in the kingdom of David. And if that's the case, then how much more in the kingdom of God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Jesus declares the kingdom is upon you in Matthew chapter 12. And so all through the Gospels, we see that that Jesus speaks of this kingdom, this kingdom. Now, what's fascinating in, for this discussion is what got Jesus killed to begin with. We talked a little bit about this last week, but let me skip forward just past that once. We read in St. John's Gospel, chapter 18, starting around verse 33, this episode of Jesus being brought before Pilate, and in quote it says, Pilate entered the praetorium again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingship is not of this world. If my kingship were of this world, my servants would fight that I might not be handed over to the Jews, but my kingship is not from the world. Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, "What?" Is truth. <laughs> you see, Pilate had no const- context of what truth is. That's relativism. That's the world that you and I live in right now, a world racked full of relativism. Uh, Pope Benedict XVI has written extensively and spoken extensively about this. This world is, is just dying for more relativism. It doesn't want to understand what truth is. Interestingly enough, the oldest version, the oldest piece of the Gospel of John that is in existence is a fragment. And all it says is, what is truth? It's like this... Is this little weird humor of God to preserve this, this fragment, this oldest fragment, because this is so poignant for the world we live in today. It thinks that truth is an abstract concept. It would say, well, if it's true for you, that's fine, but it doesn't have to be true for me. I have my own version of truth. No, I'm sorry. Truth is a person. It's Jesus Christ, and that person who is truth is the king of kings and the lord of lords. And he is a king, as he says to Pilate. This is why he was born. This We don't begin to understand this at this point in the gospel narrative, but it's fundamental because as we back up and we see the episode of our Lord being brought before the high priest of Caiaphas, because as Pilate said, it was Caiaphas the high priest who handed him over to be crucified, right? Well, if we look in St. Matthew's gospel, chapter 26, starting around verse 63... We see the episode, the very very indictment, the very thing that gets Jesus the the death penalty. This is what earns him the cross. But Jesus was silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, hereafter, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. Why do we still need witnesses? You now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. Interestingly enough the high priest who tears his robes that was unlawful according to the mosaic law <laughs> yet he tears his robes he had no he had no right or permission to to tear the vestments given to him this was the vestments instituted given to Aaron who would be high priest and to his sons who would serve as ministerial priests okay these vestments This vestment specifically of the high priest who was linked so closely with the name of God, with the temple and the inner sanctuary. Because it was once a year that the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies offering up sacrifices. Now he himself had to offer up a sacrifice for his own sins. It was a bull. A bull had to be killed every year for this one man because of his sins. Then he could enter into the Holy of Holies and offer up a sacrifice to the living presence of God there in the temple only when jesus was there before caiaphas by that point god's presence wasn't there he never returned the ark of the covenant was no longer found there after the exile to babylon of the jews and so jesus came to replace this man and this man was threatened by this. And so what does he want? He wants Jesus dead. And so he, even though Jesus was silent before him, he adjures him. He orders him to speak. Are you the Christ? And Jesus responds. We, we mentioned this last week. But in St. Matthew's Gospel, this very specific language of the Son of Man would be would ascend and he would be seated at the right hand of God the Father in power. This is very, as I said, specific language. It links Psalm 110 and Daniel chapter 7, the, the vision in Daniel chapter 7 together, where we see in both accounts God, the Ancient of Days, is seated on his throne in his heavenly temple/courtroom slash courtroom. there is a throne there in in Daniel's in the book of Daniel we see a throne you know with a fire okay and this river of fire issuing forth from underneath it okay this is language that r- makes us think back to Genesis chapter 2 and the garden of Eden and it makes us think of the the temple in 1 Kings where King Solomon builds this temple only in Genesis and in 1 Kings you see, in Genesis, as we've mentioned before on the show, the Garden of Eden was a was the was the temple and the cosmic creation. And the Garden of Eden specifically was the Holy of Holies, where of all of the rest of creation represented the rest of the temple. And we see this very idea being instituted in first kings by solomon who builds into his temple all of these images of palm trees and fruits and pomegranates and, and cherubim all images the river the water the precious stones and the metals all of these things you can find in genesis chapter two okay all of these things Make up the temple. These both are mere foreshadowings, mere images, just a little, just a a, a teensy insight into the actual temple. That found in heaven and that very presence of God himself who sits the ancient of days upon his throne. Only it's not water, it's fire. Because we are told that God is an all-consuming fire and we are told about the fire of his love in sacred scripture. And so, this is very critical language that we'll bring up again as we look at that uh, the day of Pentecost, when tongues of fire come down, an insight into heaven itself but here as jesus invokes the son of man image ascending and seating, and seating himself at the right hand of god as we said brings up psalm 110 and daniel chapter seven where both in both accounts the son of man is seated at the right hand of god and he has dominion over his enemies and he is both a royal messiah a christ the one to come the anointed who is, by the way, that very language is about a king. It, were, it was kings who were anointed. David was anointed king, and so was Solomon, anointed king. Solomon was, was anointed by the high priest, Zadok, and placed on a donkey, and then rode triumphantly into Jerusalem. Just like our Lord Jesus Christ, who was placed on a donkey and rode in, placed on the donkey by Saint Peter, by the way, who is what a, a priest, okay, a priest and serving in the court of our Lord, the King Jesus Christ. Again, all of these links bringing together the priesthood and the King into one person, the body of Christ Himself. Just like as in the Book of Hebrews, we are told that Jesus Christ is a priest. According to the order of Melchizedek, who was king of Salem, which was Jerusalem before it was called Jerusalem. Okay? And what happened there was as Melchizedek encounters Abraham, he brings out bread and wine and offers it to Abraham. So, this image of our Lord as the Son of Man, Daniel's specific language, it constitutes the idea of him being king and being high priest, and his court, his kingdom, has ministers and other priests who serve at his behest. Now, if we read in the Catechism, uh, paragraph 664, we hear, quote, Being seated at the Father's right hand, signifies the inauguration of the Messiah's kingdom, the fulfillment of the prophet Daniel's vision concerning the Son of Man. To him was given dominion and glory and kingdom, that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. After this event the apostles became witnesses of the kingdom that will have no end, which is... Reminiscent of the first reading of the second Sunday of Easter, we read about about how the apostles were going out and witnessing to this kingdom and the works that they performed were not of their own doing, but given to them by God himself because they had been breathed on by Jesus Christ in St. John's Gospel, chapter 20. It's all very linked together and tying in. And as we come to now realize and see as, as things become less blurry less gray they become more clear and into focus this idea of jesus christ the king of kings and the lord of lords seating himself at the right hand of god the ancient of days and having all things put under his dominion he now In this vision of the idol in the empires of Daniel 2 is the Son of Man, who is given a kingdom that will last forever. He is the stone that will break up the other kingdoms and grow to a mountain that takes up the entire earth. Go back and read the vision in Daniel 2 and you'll see what I mean. This stone that was hewn from no human hand is cast at this giant idol and topples it and breaks it down and then grows into a mountain that takes up all the earth and has no end. Wow, it's very powerful stuff. Now, the point of all this as we start to tie in now the readings. Let's look at the second reading first. In St. John, here in the book of Revelation, he is caught up on the Lord's day. The Lord's day is Sunday. Why? Because that's the day our Lord rose from the grave. This is the day where the church celebrates, in particular, this this passover that he has given us the sacrament of the eucharist the mass and so our lord is is giving st john here a vision while st john is is celebrating the very sacrament instituted in the upper room there on the night before he was betrayed so st john on sunday in a mass sees this vision he is caught up into heaven on the lord's day he sees the son of man standing there amidst the seven candle uh the candle lampstands okay seven is the number of perfection and there is this image of our lord the son of man this is the language used linking us back to Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 7 and again in Daniel chapter 2 he is wearing this long white linen robe that's the robe of the high priest and he has the golden sash this is a golden sash of a king As we read in the Old Testament and other parts Okay, so he's both high priest and king And he's holding the churches in his hand He possesses the dominion And this is the fulfillment of the vision of Daniel It's about his kingdom In Daniel's vision, he sees the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the Ancient of Days, taking possession, unlike all those earthly kingdoms, the Babylonians, the Medes, the Persians, the Greeks, and even the Roman Empire, all those will fade away in relativism. But our Lord Jesus Christ possesses the true kingdom, and that kingdom has dominion over all of creation, and we know that to be a fact because he is seated in eternity at the right hand of God instead of here on earth in a human timeline. And let's skip now to the gospel reading of the second Sunday of, of Easter, where Jesus stands in the midst of the apostles, again, on the Lord's day. And this is when he breathes on them, giving him the Ruah, like God did to Adam, breathing life into Adam in Genesis 2-7, like Elijah, who resurrected the dead boy, breathing on him in First Kings 17-21, and like God, who raised an army out of the corpses in Ezekiel 37-9, Jesus breathes on his apostles and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. Whose sins you forgive are forgiven. Whose sins you do not forgive are not forgiven. And then he sends them out. Just like he was sent from the Father, he now sends his apostles. It's about empowering them. They're receiving this divine commission. As a king who has judgment over the kingdom, delegates his binding and loosing to his judges and ministers, as as was the case in David's kingdom, how much more now in the kingdom of Christ? Thomas, again on the Lord's Day, eight days later, again on Sunday, Thomas, who requires science, receives that and so much more. And then once he is, it's, it's proven to him, what does he do? He says, my Lord and my God, professing Jesus to be that God, that Lord, that King. This is the ultimate end of the gospel, the good news that's preached to us. I could say so much more. But you need to go and read the Psalms now from the Sunday reading because he is the stone that the builders rejected. Like the parables of the kingdom of God in St. Matthew chapter 13, the church is the kingdom of God. Yet the part that is here on earth is not yet perfected. It will be purified though through time of trial and then offered up as a spotless bride and joined with God for all eternity. Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Until next time, I'm praying for you, so please pray for me. Stop by the website for more information. May God richly bless you. From the Catholic Underground.